welcome to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com, and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom and the hashtag, the virtual shift. And uh, today we have a very special guest, John Zedzavajian, and uh, he is the president of RxSense. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. So, uh, John, tell us a little bit about your background, and then tell us a little bit about uh, RxSense. Sure. So, so Tom, I uh, graduated from pharmacy school and started a career in pharmacy, both retail and hospital, and joined the PBM industry back in the 90s, and I spent most of my career at CVS Health, both at Caremark in the sales uh, segment, and then moved to retail pharmacy. I spent about 10 years working with PBMs and payers around contracting strategy, uh, et cetera, around providing solutions in the market. I I joined RxSense in May of 2019, uh, coming up on uh, five years. Uh, I I knew Rick, our uh, CEO, Rick Bates, who's the founder, um, back when he was the CEO of Catalyst RX. And Rick started the company in 2015 at Single Care, which is one of the leading discount card solutions in the marketplace today. And over time, we've built um, an enterprise platform business, which I'm responsible for, and which we enable organizations to take control of their pharmacy benefit. And we have multiple customers um, that may uh, leverage our technology or analytics or even our discount card uh, solutions in the market. Your target audience is that self-insured employer who's looking to build a uh, a benefits program for obviously their their employee base. And your focus is on the uh, the uh, the prescription pharmaceutical side of the equation. Is that accurate? I would say, Tom, we're not in the market as a PBM. What we do is enable folks who want to be a PBM in the marketplace, for example. And our customers who are there are focused on the small mid-market self-employers, correct? So what is, what is your differentiation compared to uh, uh, your uh, competitors? Sure, a couple things. Um, one, we're built on modern technology. Um, so we have a cloud-based platform. A lot of our competitors, especially the larger uh, competitors who have scale, have been built on technology you know, based on AS400 and green screens. So there's a lack of inefficiency as an example. So we provide an efficient platform. Uh, number two, uh, ease of use. Very um, easy to implement plan changes, as an example, in hours versus weeks and months. And second, our model is transparent. We do not make any money on the cost of goods. So all of the um, cost is passed through um, from the pharmacy or the rebates back to the back to the, the buyer. So the you help PBMs be uh, more modernized PBMs, uh, right? So uh, in the PBM space, as you know, there's a lot of challenges because there's some belief that it's the PBM that are that are increasing the the cost of the pharmaceuticals, right? How do you how do you combat that that particular challenge based on 
your cloud-based uh, platform and your and the innovation that you bring to the market? Oh, for sure. P- PBMs do provide a valuable service to an employer around trying to manage either the costs or affordability for the employer. They provide access around the, the types of channels they want to get their prescriptions filled. If it's the retail pharmacy network, it could be mail service, and then the ever-growing specialty pharmacy. So the PBMs you know, provide utilization management, appropriate use to drive down that cost. And you're right. So the you know there's always there's a lot of noise in the market, either from the federal or at the state level. But I do think the PBMs are providing a valuable you know service to drive down that cost at the end of the day. And so how does your PBM? You know, one could look at the prescription side of a benefit uh, a benefit portfolio from an employee. I'm speaking from a employee's perspective, uh, you know, it ha- but how does that get ultimately integrated with other elements of an overall benefit uh, program? Right. It, it, I would say it starts with the goals of the employer, but ultimately it's around the plan design on how they want to manage the cost, copay, coinsurance, and then ultimately the data. And I think the data is the most important. If I think about how we we process a claim, which is table stakes. It's a PBM system, but ultimately the data drives the potential strategies. And our system, um, which is called RxIQ, provides data within an hour of a claim being paid, is made available, but then all of that data needs to be actionable to make changes potentially around plan design or maybe specialty pharmacy trends, and then giving them the tools to help manage that cost. So when you talk about plan design, and it sounds like it could be very dynamic, how, how, do, uh, how does that potential, is that uh, plan designed to be more uh, financially beneficial to the employer, or does it change the structure and or the accessibility of certain drugs, uh, uh, prescribed uh, drugs uh, to the employee yeah, so or to the buyer? If, if as RxNSME takes back, take a step back around our solutions. Ultimately, it's the employer who's going to make that decision, but it also depends on how fast they want to make that decision. So if they see a trend where there's a, an increased cost of a certain specialty therapeutic class, let's call it rheumatoid arthritis, which is what's going on in a market around biosimilars, they, they may want to make a change to prefer a biosimilar at a lower cost, where in other large organizations that may take weeks to months to make that change, we have the ability to make that change in hours based on our platform and our efficiency around uh, how we um, access the system and to make those changes in almost near real time. So ultimately, your platform, is that you had indicated that you help others become PBMs and they adopt your platform as the so one, I could argue that that is a white labeling of your platform and, and others are who have a reach into a specific segment of the market are leveraging your platform to uh, enhance that, uh, that, that, that value of the reach within their reach. Is that accurate? Yeah, that, that would be accurate. So is, uh, let's see, there was a couple of press releases uh, that you had uh, in recent uh, weeks um, Tell, tell us a little bit more about what's going on in RxSense and how you're growing your, your market share. Yeah. Um, so we've been in market a couple of years, uh, primarily focused on the small mid-market uh, 
PBMs. Um, but over the time, we have enabled organizations uh, such as VividClear, which is a PBM started by Hy-Vee, which is a very strong regional grocer out of Iowa. Uh, in turn, um, our, in the last two years, we've brought on two, I would say, mid-sized PBMs. Uh, one is owned by Kenny Drug called ProAct, and they've been growing you know, over time. Um, it's their sales strategy, their marketing strategy. They own retail pharmacies, balance specialty, but they're leveraging our technology and analytics and our transparency and help them to optimize their business. So that would be a really good example. And then you probably have seen uh, the press release with Amsana RX, which is a, a PBM uh, that was enabled by the Purchasers Business Group on Health. You know, they see our need in the market around transparency and moving upstream to larger employers. So we're the, and, you know, the PBM behind, I would say the technology and analytics uh, behind Amsana RX. So the technology and analytics embedded uh, in the uh, overall solution. So you don't necessarily deal with the uh, pharmaceuticals themselves in negotiating the cost of the drugs. All that gets fed into your into your platform uh, by um, by your by your user. Do you uh, so you know? There's a lot of in, interesting programs at the pharmacy end of the equation, right? B- whether it be uh, access to discounts or access to uh, copays and things of that nature. Your technology, how does your technology work with those types of uh, programs? Yeah, so a couple things. So we, we negotiate uh, sometimes or our clients have contracts with retail pharmacies. So, um, you know, we have you know 65,000 pharmacies under contract that we have competitive discounts um, that we offer our clients. So they could access that as an example. Um, I think where you're going is around some of these copay accumulator, copay type programs to help buy down the cost of specialty medications. So yeah, today it's, it's so today it's up to our customer who's the PBM how they want to manage those programs. So what we provide is an API with the data interface around those programs. So some of them may be driven by cost, high cost drugs, or prior authorization, or some type of protocol. So we're providing that information in near real time to them to help manage that patient's expense and therapy. What do you see? Because this is a very uh, dynamic space and a very much, in my view, a changing space for several different uh, reasons, right? Everybody always likes to blame the pharmaceutical company and therefore anybody that's involved is guilty as charged type of thing. Uh, but uh, but where do you see the greatest challenge from your perspective? And then where do you see and then where do you see the market going over the next uh, short term uh, year or two versus the next five years? Yeah, I, I think if, if you if you kind of take a look back to look forward, you know, there's been a lot of vertical integration and and M and A around the big three. So the Caremark, Express, and Optum are are either have purchased the health plan or a health plan purchased a PPM. And that is, you know, scale matters. There's, there's no doubt and certain buyers are gonna be scale buyers. But what's happened over time, um, what we're seeing um, in a fast forward is a lot of state regulations evaluating the, the PBM laws. And I think ultimately that's gonna be around more transparency so that the pharmacies understand what they're getting reimbursed and how much they're getting paid 
and there's no what they call spread or traditional pricing. Um, based on our model, as an example, we don't make any money on the cost of goods as we enable our customers. It's fully transparent and we're pharmacy centric around the retailers. So I think that's um, one thing that's ahead. I would say the other two, there is still the overhang with the FTC uh, looking at some of, uh, I think it's five or six, I think it's six different PBMs and evaluating. Now, that I think it's an overhang. I, I'm not sure how much impact it will have over time. Um, but it is something that could, you know, evolve or change the market to the point you made earlier, because it, it will evolve. Even if it's a non-action, there will be some resulting changes, you know, from a structural perspective, potentially. Yeah, so uh, regulations is always, uh, in my view, uh, uh, an inhibitor to, uh, not that it's, uh, regulation, there's always good regulations. Uh, so let me be clear, but there's always regulations that kind of stall or inhibit uh, the innovation that's necessary. Do you see that in your in your particular space, the the regulations inhibiting innovation? I I think um, you know I think there has been innovation. I think there will continue to be innovation over time. You know, if you think about what's happening at the pharmacy counter today, um, you have the pharmacists over the last three years have made a significant um input into our public health you know just in testing and vaccinations and there is a big push around you know value-based care what the pharmacists can do but on the flip side is do they have the time to be able to uh, perform a clinical service and then ultimately get paid for that so i do think there'll be some evolution there and then sharing is as some of these large health plans we saw cvs buying oak street health last week you know, they're moving down the path of value-based care, leveraging their meta clinic. So you could ultimately see some more innovation in retail and retail pharmacy. So our job ultimately is going to be helping enable some of that around data or even our technology or claims processing solutions. Yeah, I'm going to go off the reservation here for uh, for a minute and uh, uh, and ask the question of I, I will I wholeheartedly support the idea of pharmacists being able to perform more relative to uh, value-based care and engaging the patient in a level of service uh, above and beyond just dispensing the meds, right? So uh, there's a valuable service to be there, uh, to be had there, especially when you have this dynamics of an older age or sicker population and less doctors and nurses uh, to take uh, to take care of that uh, that population. So there's got to be innovation in some regulations and some opening uh, of the doors for others to engage. And the pharmacist is one of the most trusted uh, resources in the delivery of care anyway. So it makes sense for them to to come into the equation. But do you do you think we get away from? With that said, do you think we get away from the idea of a true value based care uh, integrated a delivery model because the CVSs are really kind of, uh, uh, it's going to come across the wrong, but cherry picking the low acuity encounters uh, to uh, to drive uh, the, uh, you know, their, their own business model versus looking at the patient holistically from end to end to maximize um, um, value-based care. Your thoughts on that? Well, 
I, I think you bring up some valid points, but if you take a step back and look at the marketplace, if you look at market share amongst all the pharmacies, you know, it's it's still CVS and Walgreens probably have all part yeah. 25% of the market share each. So you still have 50% of the marketplace going to other pharmacies and those pharmacies are growing. So if you look at through the pandemic, the grocers grew market share based on people were consolidating, right? And and I do think those pharmacies are continuing to, to innovate and they're a voice and, you know, around I, we need to change the way we get paid and the way we interact with our customers. So you'll, I, I think you'll see some of that leveling out and CVS will have their strategy, but for them to be successful, I think they're going to have to also, um, you know, integrate with others or have the others have the ability to perform some value-based care or clinical interventions, because I don't think they can service all of those, all of their own members in their own, their own channel. I, I, I absolutely agree. So we're, we're, we are at this pivot point in the, in the market, a lot of uh, innovative uh, delivery of care models coming into play, right? You have, um, you know, we, we had the, the, the old brick and mortar facility, uh, which was the de facto standard of where you went to go get care, whether it be a CVS Walgreens or your doctor's office. It was always brick and mortar. And then the mm-hmm. pandemic comes along and suddenly we realized that, hey, you know, this telehealth thing, that it actually, that actually works. Right. It's good. And Mikey likes it, as I would say, if you remember that commercial long ago. But then the other innovations that, you know, piggybacked onto the telehealth side of the equation were services like remote patient monitoring, like chronic care management, principal care management. These were all virtual care delivery settings. Right. The home is that center of care. How do you think that the, um, the model overall benefit um, uh, the the patient based on now these new innovative uh, virtual services, if you will? Yeah, um, I'll speak a little to it. I'm not an expert in it or, or studied a lot of it, but I, but I do think, you know, from my experience at CVS, it's where you want to treat the patient where they want to be or how to engage where they are in their life. So you talked about telehealth for sure, digital, right? There's still a lot of organizations putting a lot of money into the digital engagement because that's how folks interact, especially the younger generation. And on the flip side around the home, you're seeing companies, you know, launch company, you know, home health companies or purchase home health companies like CVS that we referenced earlier or Walgreens, you know, with Village MD and Summit. Right. So you have all of this where they want to meet the customer. Um, but I do think, you know, the virtual care, to your point, and you're much more of an expert than I ever will be, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the system to interact with the customer, the patient, not the customer, the patient. And then off that, you know, you could provide delivery, local delivery. All the pharmacies are doing that. Um, you know, it's not mail, traditional mail, but, you know, as you interact with your local pharmacy, they could provide delivery within a couple hours. Um, both for maintenance and acute. So I, I think it'll all evolve into some type of consumer choice on how they want to interact with their healthcare provider. Uh, so bringing that back to Rx Sense, right? The delivery yeah. of care model is changing. The pharmacy yeah. is at the center of your your being, if you will, and and, and certainly those employers. 
So how does an RX sense transform yeah. or, or continue to grow in the idea that, hey, it's not just about pharmaceuticals, right? That's yeah. one side of it. But seven out of 10 uh, encounters, the doctor might actually recommend an uh, over-the-counter product. How does that all uh, yeah. uh, uh, integrate into a benefits, uh, benefit care management type of platform? So, so one of, you know, we could probably spend 10 minutes on our RxIQ platform. So what we have done around, the, I, I referenced it earlier, data, once a claim is paid, we make that available within our, on our data analytics system within, within an hour. But what we've done is we've built clinical alerts out of that. So as an example, first-time patient who's never been diagnosed with diabetes picks up uh, a generic metformin, first time ever. So that comes through. He can we pop some type of email in a secured way to the, the the patient's care management program or TPA or health plan. And now Tom, first time diagnosed, diabetic, now can now the nurse, you know, nurse case manager, probably whatever the, the 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 nomenclature is at the plan can now interact with Tom. Hey, first time diabetic, and now start a different interaction versus waiting 30 days to find out you're a diabetic and it's the first time you're on medication. So that's one use case where we leverage our data analytics capability to enable and improve uh, clinical care. Interesting. So uh, in closing, we have uh, about two, three minutes uh, left. If you had your uh, your own whiteboard on, uh, and I'm sure you do at RxSense for sure, but uh, if you had a, at a whiteboard, you know, what would you say, hey, if these two or three things change that we could, you know, this market could move into a different space and uh, and ultimately uh, be very transformative. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I think ultimately the driving factor around employers and employees costs for specialty drugs and primarily a lot of the pbms and others are focused on generic drugs versus focusing on the largest share which is you know one to two percent of the claims volume driving 50 percent as we think about it we think generic drugs are highly valuable and provide uh, a you know a, a difference in somebody's well-being but thinking about doing something different around generic drugs maybe not covering all of them, making that a free market to lower the cost. That would be one example, and that's on our whiteboard top as an example. Um, two, leveraging our technology in different ways. We talked about our analytics platform, so we're, we're continuing to invest there. We think data is important, um, and a lot of our, you know, the market we play in is based on legacy and, you know, putting pieces together. So we think the power of the data is, is, is extremely important. And then um, third, what you're seeing is around the discount card market, which I didn't spend a lot of time on. Um, that market continues to grow. Um, through the pandemic, it grew double digits. It's probably 5 to 10% growth. But that's another market because consumers still want choice and, and looking at you know, affordability. So I would say those are the three things that we, we, we focus on. We think there's still um, opportunity there. Awesome. Hey, John, I appreciate your uh, your time. It's been a very informative discussion for folks uh, with more interested in what RxSense is doing. I believe the website is uh, rxsense.com. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. So if anyone uh, listening uh, wants to see, uh, go and get more information, that's ultimately a, a key uh, website to go to. 
So, John, thanks again for your time. I, I appreciate it, and hopefully we can have you on again soon. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. Have a great day. I want to thank the show sponsors, HP. HP Engage Long Life Cycle Products provides the stability, safety, and security you need, plus flexibility and performance designed for today and tomorrow. As well, GenieMD, providing a modular, scalable, and customizable virtual care platform and clinical services to help providers extend care into the home, increasing access and quality while driving new revenue opportunities. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune in at the same time, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern, throughout the week, and be sure to check out the program page on healthcarenowradio.com. And remember, connect or follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at Foley Tom, and follow the show's hashtag, The Virtual Shift. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next shift.